My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if you're just joining us, I've been away for a while. Uh, my uh, family and I were on a two-month cycle in Hawaii, and I finally figured out how to use the word aloha correctly, because the first time I ever used that word, I was in Palma de Mallorca, and we were at a Burger King, and I was trying to figure out the Wi-Fi password. And I'm trying to get the folks' attention there who work at the Burger King, and I say, I look at Pam, and I say, it's aloha, right? And she goes, you mean hola? <laughs> so some of you will get that later. Some of you will get that later. Anyway, uh, we come back, and we are extremely grateful, so thank you. Thank you for the gift of the sabbatical and the time of rest and connection. Um, but we, uh, we come back with hearts full of gratitude, not just for the gift of the time, but actually maybe more so, uh, for me at least I can say, uh, for the gift of this calling, of this church, of this city, and of being able to return back uh, home. Uh, and so we're thankful for this, and we're glad to be here. Well, it's a little bit of a fresh start for me. I haven't done this in a while, and we'll see if I know if I remember how to do it. But I know that like lots of you are are in the midst of fresh starts as well. All right, it's the beginning of a new year. Some of you are having a fresh start at a new school year. Some of you are having a fresh start at a new school, uh, whether that's college or high school or or middle school. Uh, for some of you, you're in the midst of a fresh start for a new job. I know some of you are, are entering a new season of work. Others of you are, are in the midst of a fresh start for, um, because, because you're in a brand new city and you're transitioning. And I always feel with fresh starts, there's always the hope that maybe in this new place, at this new time, we can flourish. Because let's be honest, most of us don't feel like we're flourishing. Uh, I wonder if flourishing would be a word that you would use to describe yourself and your family. Uh, busy? Yes. Productive? Maybe. Exhausted? Absolutely. But flourishing? Not sure. I was... um. I, I'm in this kind of uh, online community that does like classifieds where you buy and sell stuff. And it's one of these communities where you, you have, a, um, you have a, your name and then you also have like a handle. And my handle is usually very creative. It's my name. But I was interacting with someone and their handle was keep on grinding. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know what that person was like, what was going through their head. I mean, maybe they're proud of that, keep on grinding. Probably so. Like, I'm just going to keep on grinding. But I thought, you know, what a sad depiction of, I think, how all of us feel. And the message that we're telling ourselves, just keep on grinding. Maybe we feel like that Jackson Brown song running on empty, running on empty, running on, running on empty. 
running into the sun. You know, I don't even know what I'm running for. I'm just running. Running into the sun, I'm running behind. I wonder if you feel like you're running on empty. Can you relate? Or perhaps you relate to Bilbo Baggins when he says to Gandalf, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that's been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change. And maybe now's the time. A fresh start. But, you know, the thing about fresh starts is is even when we come back from a vacation and even if we have a shot in the arm from that or a sabbatical, most of us, if we don't feel exhausted, we... We're anxious. We're anxious that, that with all the new things around, it's still the same old us. And that we, weren't, we won't flourish. It's the same old tired, exhausted, stressed, and anxious us. But you know what? It's to the same old tired and stressed and exhausted us that Jesus issues this invitation in John 15. Abide in me. So let's pray as we consider it. God, as we open up your word, we ask that you would enable us to abide very deeply in the Son by the Spirit. And that in him we might find life and joy and peace abundant. Amen. Well, in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Throughout this passage, Jesus is using an analogy from uh, viticulture uh, to describe his relationship to his disciples. And it is the deepest, most... um, kind of connection possible. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. There is a mutual indwelling here. Abide in me and I in you. Verse 4. Jesus is saying, uh, make, my, make your home in me and I will make my home in you. Abide. I and mean, what does it mean to abide? That, that's the word that keeps appearing over and over in this, in this passage. And I would say that it, for my money, if there's anything that describes the Christian life, if you had to pick one word, it would be this word, abide. What does it mean? To abide is to cultivate a relationship of deep and ongoing connection with Jesus. To abide is to cultivate a relationship of deep and ongoing connection with Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is just look at two things, two, ask two questions really. One why should we abide? So the reason for abiding. And two, how can we abide? The dynamics of abiding. It seems like those are two pretty important questions, right? To figure out if and how we're going to take up this invitation. So first, the reason for abiding. Why should we abide? Well, we should abide first and foremost and fundamentally because Jesus is the vine. 
Now, we need to be really clear about this and, and, and get one thing clear from the get-go. He is the vine. And he doesn't say, I am the vine and you are also the vine. He doesn't say, I am a branch and you are also a branch. No, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So that while this indwelling might be mutual, it is asymmetrical. So we are branches. And we are wholly dependent on the vine. See, branches have no life in them. And that's the first reason that we have to abide and we should abide is because we are not the source of life. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that you are a branch and you are absolutely dependent. You know, I mentioned earlier, but because of some, uh, a great relationship with some former congregants, we were able to spend the sabbatical that we, we had in Hawaii. It was my first time there. And we were in Hawaii for, for eight weeks. And uh, while we were there, one of the things that every once in a while would kind of trigger in my mind is I would look at a map, and I would see where we are on a map. Have you ever been to Hawaii and looked at a map? I don't know how people live there without getting just really anxious. Because one of the things about Hawaii is that you find out, I mean, Pam and I are kind of like, we like to, we like to, to do like local culture stuff and especially local food stuff. We like to do the kind of farm to table thing, right? Yes, we're all pretentious and all that. You already knew that, but some of you didn't. But so we love to do like the farm to table, that kind of thing. So we get to Hawaii and we're like, we're going to do the farm to table thing. So we go and we are like, let's go to a restaurant that does local Hawaiian stuff. And, and we went and then we started to taste the food and it was horrible, like horrible. Like nothing grows there naturally. And the things that do are just like these kind of starchy vegetables that don't have like very good flavor, right? Because like Hawaii, like Hawaii is completely dependent on sources outside of itself. And so I started to think to myself, wait, hold on a second. If like there was like, you know, something happened, like a typhoon to the LA Harbor, like we're, we're done. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? I'm going to be eating like taro root and things like that for all summer. Like, what are we going to do? I mean, it was Hawaii is absolutely and totally dependent in a way that's like kind of scary, kind of vulnerable in a way that's like us. We are totally dependent on resources from outside of ourselves. That's who we are as humans. And if you don't get that, just, I mean, we know this, right? Just think about it. Oxygen. You don't breathe, you don't live. And you, you don't get that on your own. Or food. I mean, think about the last time you had a conversation with someone over a meal. At some point in the conversation, you had to stop talking and eat. Which is a way of acknowledging, whether you'd realize that or not, your absolute dependence and vulnerability as a creature before that person. We are totally dependent, and our dependence goes all the way down, down to our souls. Verse 5, did you see it? Apart from me, you can do 
nothing. Now, if that doesn't shock you or offend you, then I'm not sure that you heard what I just said. I'm not sure you heard Jesus' words. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Now, let's just be honest for a second. Nothing? Are you sure about that, Jesus? I mean, have you seen my resume? Are you sure about that, Jesus? Have you seen my degrees? Have you seen my bank account, Jesus? Are you sure? Nothing? Jesus, um, Jesus, have you... Have you seen all the patents that I've won for my company? Or have you seen the company that I developed? Nothing? Are you serious, Jesus? I don't know about that, Jesus. Really? Apart from me, you can do nothing? I mean, let's be honest. It feels like something. It feels substantial. But is it? And if it feels like something, then why does it also feel like if it is something, why does it feel like nothing? If it feels substan- if it if it is substantial, then why does it feel so empty? Like we just produced and produced, produced. But what's the end result? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing lasting, nothing significant, nothing fulfilling, nothing that will endure. And that's a hard word to take, that we are dependent and needy, and we have no life in ourselves. Because, you know, uh, I was posed this question by a friend. He said, what's the hardest thing to say in our culture? And he said, the hardest thing to say in our culture is, I can't. I am unable. I don't have the ability to do that. We feel like we should be able to say yes to everything. To be and do and keep up with everything. And in fact, we even, let's be honest, we even feel like people who do say no and they can't, we kind of have some disdain for those folks. I mean, not you, me, but, or maybe you. But Jesus is calling us to say and recognize that apart from him, we can do nothing because, because he is the vine. And we are not the vine. He is the source of all life, and we are not the source of all life. And he's saying, and in me there is an abundant supply, so abide in me. You know, I love laptops and devices, and one of the things that I love about laptops and devices is that I feel like I can work from almost anywhere, like anywhere, except for a coffee shop, which is the major place I want to work. And you know why I can't work from a coffee shop? Because coffee shops have caught on to people like me who like to pay $2 rent for like a day. And so they have, what they've done is they have made all their outlets unaccessible. So if you go into a lot of coffee shops these days, they don't have outlets. And so you've got to come charged up. And if you don't come charged up, then you start working, or maybe you get there. This happened to me recently, and I was going to do this big project. I, you know, I get all my stuff set up. I pay for my coffee. I've got it set up. And then I've got like 10 minutes of battery left, right? I mean, 
the supply runs out. But if you can find a power source, if you can plug in, then there's an infinite supply. There's an infinite supply. We, we, are, like, we are like laptops, you and me. Our power runs out. But if we plug into Jesus, there is an infinite supply. If we can plug in, there's an infinite supply unless it's a faulty plug. Did you notice in verse 1 that Jesus does not call himself the vine? He does not. What does he say? I am the true vine. Which assumes what? That there are also counterfeit vines. See, Jesus knows that there, because we're dependent, we will plug ourselves in to any number of things that will promise us life and joy and peace. And it's like when you plug yourself, your phone, into an outlet, and then you go on a trip, and then you realize that it wasn't all the way plugged in, or maybe that outlet, the, uh, the switch was tripped. You know what I'm talking about. And then you're in the middle of L.A., and you don't have your maps, and what are you going to do? Die on the vine. I, I mean, there are so many counterfeit vines so many things that we will plug ourselves into to drive life. So let me ask you, what vine are you plugging into? What is the source? Where do you find your deepest source of joy? What about motivation? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What's the standard by which you say, if this is happening, life is going well and successful? There are so many things that we will, we will plug ourselves into. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I think we sit there and we wonder, we're like, why am I so exhausted and anxious? And why do I have a short fuse? Why is my power indicator always running low? There's got to be a bad battery. That's what we think. Something's wrong with the battery. But maybe something's wrong with the plug. Maybe we've plugged ourselves into other things. Things that actually won't give us life. Jesus says, abide in me because I am the true source of all life. And you have no life in you. That's the first reason to abide in him. The second reason to abide in Jesus is because he will make you fruitful. Look at verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, in our world today, we are obsessed with productivity, and even in the church. But I think we confuse busyness and even productivity with fruitfulness, with fecundity. We think that if we are busy, we are fruitful. If we are productive, we are fruitful, but they are very different. Uh, productivity is something that we produce. Fruitfulness is something that God produces and produces in and through us. And the source, by the way, it determines the fruit. See, productivity is usually what we go out and do and say, I'm going to accomplish, right? And we've got our checklist and we do our thing. And then makes us feel like we have accomplished something. We've done something. And, and, and we are 
we're fulfilling our role as contributing members of society and justifying our existence. And so we say, look, I'm producing oranges, but God says, no, 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 no. You plug into me, it's peaches that you produce. And it's I that produces them through you, and it's I that produces them through you in their season. It's not you taking control. See, the source determines the fruit, and that's why abiding is a formative activity. The person that you are, the person that you are today is a result of the vine that you have been abiding in over time. And I have to admit that sometimes I look at myself and I wonder if I really like the person that I'm becoming. Sometimes I slow down just enough to take stock and I wonder, do I like the person that I'm becoming? And then I have to ask the question, what am I abiding in? And am I willing to unplug from those things and plug into Jesus? And that's a hard question. Because while I don't like the things that I'm becoming, on the other hand, I kind of like plugging into my smartphone and my Twitter feeds and every other thing that makes me feel like I'm in the know and living. When you plug in to Jesus, you produce the fruit of Jesus. And this is a fruit that endures. And it endures even in and through life's hardships. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser goes out into the vineyard and he has a knife. And I want you to note something. The knife comes down on us all. The knife comes down on us all. Patty Griffin, one of my favorite songwriters, once in an interview said, people suffer. I write music to help them suffer with dignity. Or if you don't know or like Patty Griffin, then how about the man in black? Who says to Buttercup, life is pain, your highness. And anyone who tells you otherwise is just trying to sell you something. Or before Patty Griffin and, and before the man in black and the princess bride, there was Jesus. In this life, you will experience tribulation. The knife comes down on us all. I recently saw a, an interview that's been going around, and it's, it's Anderson Cooper interviewing Stephen Colbert, and they're talking about suffering. And in the midst of it, Anderson Cooper, he mentions something that his mom always said to him, and that was this, you know, when suffering comes, people say, why me? And he said, what his mom said was, why not me? Why would I expect anything else? Because the knife comes down on us all. 
And it will do one of two things. It will either purge you or prune you. Look, it could purge you. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's strong language. That's harsh language. It's loving language. It's a warning. The knife comes on us all and the knife could purge you. But the knife can also prune you. Verse 2, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In other words, the knife, the suffering, the hardship, the tribulation that you go through can do one of two things. It will either purge you or it will cause you to be more fruitful. Which if you listen to Stephen Colbert's testimony in that, he talks about actually how the greatest suffering in his life has produced the most fruit in his life. Now what's the distinction? Whether when the knife comes on you, you're purged or you're pruned, the distinction is whether or not you abide in him. That's the difference. The difference is not whether or not uh, you actually experience the knife. So let's be clear about that. Christians, they suffer just as much as anyone else. And becoming a Christian will never, you will not escape suffering in this world. And I'm not gonna, you, you're not going to have your best life now, and it's not just going to get all better. And anyone who tells you otherwise, to quote the man in black, is trying to sell you something. I'm not, I'm not here to do that to you today. We are going to suffer. The question is, is what will that suffering produce? Those who abide in him, it produces a fruit that will last So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want life, full life? And do you want to be fruitful? Then abide in him. How? That leads to the second question. How can we abide? What is the dynamic of abiding? And the first thing that the passage tells us is that we abide by abiding in Christ's word. Look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now that's interesting. Did you notice the change? Back before in verse 4, he said, abide in me and I in you. And now he's replaced I with my words. In other words, the way that Jesus abides in us is by having his word abide in us. This is how, this is how we come to abide in Christ. You know, I've, I've been reflecting a little bit lately, and as I was thinking about this in, in my life, and especially the sermon, I have to admit that, that there's a difference between loving the Word and using the Word. And I feel like there's something in me that has gotten away from loving God's word, which is what got me into this in the first place, what caused me to go study uh, Paul in depth for years, was because I loved the word. But at some point, there was a shift that happened where I started to use the word. Think of it like this. There are two types of conversation that Pam and I, my wife, can have. 
One type of conversation is to actually take care of the business of running a household together. And so we talk about who's got what and which tasks are done and when do they need to be done and how are they done. And that communication is very important. But there's another type of communication which is just sitting and talking. And the words actually don't matter so much. They, they matter insofar is they are, uh, they are actually ways for us to connect and love one another. And we're not trying to have a productive conversation. We abide in Christ by abiding in his word because, because we love the word, because we realize that through the word, he becomes present to us. He does. You know, maybe some of you are falling in love right now. I don't know. Maybe some of you have fallen in love in the past, and you got a letter from, from that significant other. When you went and you read those letters over and over again, was it so that you could like get more content and you were like, I really want to understand it this time? No. It's because somehow that person through their word was brought near. In other words, the, the letters were kind of sacramental. It's the same way with Jesus and his word. We dwell on the word not to get things to do or a list of to-do list or anything, but so that Jesus is brought near. It was all lovely. So meditate on it. Memorize it. Sing it. And pray it. Which is the next thing, the next way in which we abide. Did you notice how Jesus goes seamlessly from abiding in his word to prayer? Because secondly, we abide in Christ by prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. He goes straight from abiding in the word to praying the word. Why? Because, because dependence is about more than information. Dependence is about connection. A dependent relationship with Jesus and abiding is not just about information. It's about connection. You, know, you can know a lot of things about your spouse. You can even know their deepest struggles. You can know their pain and their passion. But the question is, what do you do with that? Because if you just go on with your day, you don't connect. You know the information in order to connect with the person. We meditate on the word. Christ comes near to us, and he comes near to us so that we might actually connect with him through prayer. Now, I realize that for many of us, the concept of prayer is extremely intimidating. Take heart. It was for the disciples as well. That's why they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't know how to do it. But I think often we can think of prayer as like a technique to master or a task to accomplish. But fundamentally, prayer is about a relationship to cultivate. That's why when Jesus did teach them to pray, he started off, our Father. You start here you start realizing that this is about a relationship to cultivate. The authentic mark of Christian prayer is just talking to God authentically. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the 19th century Baptist preacher said, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Just as a leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort on the part of the branch, but simply because it's living in union with the stream, so prayer buds and blossoms and fruits out of a soul's abiding in Jesus. What do you say? You say what's ever on your heart from abiding in Him and knowing Him and His love. You say how you're feeling. You say what you want. You ask him questions. You tell him you love him. And when you pray like that, it will be heard. Did you notice that? Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now what does that mean? I don't know. I honestly am not sure. But I think it means something like this. For the one who abides in Christ, that is a deep connection, a mutual union, an indwelling where we have Christ in us and we are in Christ. And to the degree that we we share Christ's heart and his affections and his will, in his mind, and we are connected in that way to that degree, to the degree that we do that, and we pray to God and we ask out of those things, then that means that we are asking God what God wants done. And that's a prayer that you know can be heard and answered. Those who are in union with Christ have Christ's own prayers that they own and that are on their behalf. And those prayers are answered. We abide in Jesus by abiding in his word, by abiding in prayer, but also by, and this is probably the most important thing, this is the most important thing. No probably about it. We do it through abiding in his love. Verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now let's stop right there. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. And is there any greater love than this Father has for this Son? Is there any greater degree of love or kind of love? That's the love with which Jesus loves you. It is a fierce and unassailable love. And he says, As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. And he says, to keep yourselves in my love. Abide in my love. Jude, at the end of his epistle, says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, that must be the most beautiful commandment that's ever been given. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's That's what you're to do. That's my last thing that I want you to do. That's the most important thing. That's what, over above everything else, keep yourselves in the love of God. And yet that is also the hardest commandment to follow. Because because God's love isn't achieved, it's only received. And yet we want to achieve it. 
we, we want to be loved based on what we produce and not loved because we're loved. And so this is a test for you and me to see whether or not we are actually receiving God's love or trying to achieve God's love. And here's the test. Just a simple question. Do you enjoy God's love? Because if not, then you're probably too busy working for Jesus, thinking that's going to get you his love, then you are receiving Jesus and his love. This is a part of why we let his word bathe us and we bathe ourselves in his word because his word, his word comes to us and says, you are loved, you are forgiven. When you were still a sinner, I died for you. Verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are already clean. Fourth, we abide in Christ's love through obedience. Verse 10 says something that could be confusing or maybe sound contradictory to what I've just said. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. We think, wait, are you saying that Therefore, if I keep your commandments, then you'll love me? Well, let me ask a simple question. Was Jesus loved because, by the Father, because he kept the commandments? No. Him keeping the commandments was a way of an outflowing of that reciprocal love. And the reason why abiding in his love is keeping his commandments is simply this. that Here's the logic. His commandments are loving. He gives his commandments to us out of love. And the reason why obeying those commandments is a form of abiding is because to obey another's commandments is fundamentally about dependence. Because what we're saying is this, I don't know how the world works. I have no life in me. You have life in you. You know how the world works. You love me. You know what's best. Therefore, I obey to receive your love. See, when we disregard Jesus' commandments, we cut ourselves off from the source of life and love and joy. Because he knows what's best for us. And he does want us to have joy. Do you see where he ends? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, a lot of us think about God and Jesus, maybe Christianity, maybe we're checking out Christianity and you think about this thing and the law and commandments and all this is like, God is just a cosmic killjoy. You don't know Jesus. He wants your life to be full of unspeakable, unassailable joy. You know how I know that? Because he, even though he abided fully, and not even extrinsically, but intrinsically in the source of all life and all love from eternity past, even though he abided in the Father and the Father in him and in the Spirit, he was still cut off from the vine. He was purged. that we might be pruned and be fruitful. 
He entered the barren land so that we could be fruitful. He was cut off from the vine so that we could live on the vine. That's what the gospel is about. That's what this table is about. Which is where we come and receive his love. Let's prepare ourselves to do that now. Amen.